0: Welcome to the Rad Season Show. I'm Ollie Russell Cowan, and my guest this week, I met him last year when I was over in Spain, and he was filming a mountain biking segment for his latest movie, Esperanto, on a purpose-built slopestyle course for Emil Johansson, which was absolutely insane. The man, the myth, the legend, award-winning film director, mountain biker skier and family man, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy grew up in Nelson, British Columbia, Canada and was hooked on watching and wanting to make ski movies. Some of his friends in his high school class got into mountain biking. These friends just so happened to be some of the best free ride mountain bikers at the time, including Mike Kinrad, Robbie Burden, and Joe Schwartz, to name a few. Jeremy opted to hold the camera when the boys started sending 20-foot drops on their bikes. Jeremy started as an editor for Freeride Entertainment on the New World Disorder film back in 2003. He went on to become a cinematographer and built his way up to create a director until going out as a freelancer in 2019. Jeremy's the man behind the iconic Red Bull Rampage content production and event live streaming. He's been to every Rampage for 21 years as well as directed around the world from the Himalayas to the Gobi Desert from sold-out concerts in LA to uninhabited islands at the North Pole. His epic, award-winning mountain biking films, Where the Trail Ends, North of Nightfall, and many more have set the bar for stunning cinematography and pushing the progression of what we know as free-riding mountain biking today. We're going to be chatting about his latest movie, Esperanto, as, as well as how he got into film filming in Nelson, BC, progression in free-ride mountain biking, all the behind-the-scenes at Rebel Rampage from its inception, mixing his commercial work and action sports productions, teamwork, and loads, loads more. Let's jump into it.
1: Hey, Jeremy, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Good to see you again. Absolutely. Been, yeah, um... yeah.
1: It's been a while. Last time I saw you, we were. It was very different circumstances.
0: Yeah. So you. We, this was uh, over in Spain, and you guys were on. Was that like the final recording for
1: we for- were over in Spain, yeah, shooting Esperanto bike film, and it was the it was actually the second last shoot we were on. We snuck one last one in with Seminuk and Justin Wiper, but that was the second last shoot, super high pressure. We were releasing the film that spring it was yeah, we'd actually went to Spain just to avoid the snow and uh and just get away. We couldn't shoot in any of the northern hemisphere, so yeah it was it was very uh. I don't want to say stressful times because it's mountain bike videos and they're always fun, but yeah, it, on the mountain bikes, like filmmaking scale, it was one of the more stressful shoots.
0: Yeah. Cause everything, I remember we were talking, you were, you were like, you yeah. know, like all, all the schedules and the tour, everything was kind of was booked out. Right. So you kind of had oh, this, goodness. you had this deadline that, you, that so, you had to hit. And it's sort of like, you just in the hand, hands of the gods with the weather. And yeah,
1: absolutely. You kind of, um, well, you need a deadline. I've done like, three year films, uh, six month films, everything. And no matter what you 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 shoot right till the bitter end, you're editing till the night before, but this one was particularly tight cuz we started shooting actually in I want to say September. And mm-hmm. so we got some northern hemisphere stuff in, but then it went we had to go to Spain just to try and find we went Spain, Ecuador, a bunch of places just to escape the snow and keep filming. And we had we were working with Emil Johansson and he is like a very very busy athlete so just to get his schedule locked down and then be able to uh get a segment that i he's also i like i don't i don't want to say it was his first film segment but it was definitely a fresher one for someone who's won so many contests the film world hasn't seen him a lot so it came with all this extra pressure to to live up to what he was capable of so yeah and long story short, it was, the, yeah, the, the pressure was on, which luckily we had like the dream team there. We had Clay Porter, uh, John Chandler, we had Aaron Whitley, Griffin, like these ace cinematographers that were used to the pressure. And then obviously a mill is no stranger to pressure. So. It was classic. Like the last, very last day, half the segment was shot. We actually showed up there right away, and things were looking good. Nico Vink had built the features, and um, he was—he's he, like he's incredible builder. So we're doing good. And then the weather just kept hitting, and that was when we like a mill crashed, went to the hospital. Alma crashed, went to the hospital, and so. Suddenly, we've got like the dream track, the dream athletes, and then suddenly we got like it was just Lucas shooting by himself for like three days, and then both Alma and are and total soldiers, like taped up their ankles and finished the segment. So that's when I met you. Was right in the middle of all of that. So we were we were less than less. Than I know. I remember coming out of breakfast. It, it was
0: just quiet. You know, everyone was sort of like looking at the weather forecast. And it was like wow, I, hope, I hope it clears up because, like, I mean, building. Building that slopestone course, that like that took a couple of weeks to build. that
1: Absolutely,
0: and that's it.
1: Like that's its own podcast. Like it's funny. Um, Nico's incredible. Like one of my favorite builders and one of my favorite riders, and he built that for us. And watching him, how stressed he was. How like you know the time was coming up, the weather was falling apart. Uh, Obviously, he's building for a mill, so that the pressure comes from that. And uh, I was watching him, and it reminded me of filmmaking. it's like, like I, when you finish a film, you're like, every film you finish, you're like, never again. I'm never doing it again. I'm getting a day job. Like, it's so, it takes every ounce of your soul. And watching Nico build that course, it was the same thing. He was like, he he was incredible. But you could t- see his soul just draining from him every time. It was like, they were working all night on the course, everything. We just kept getting rain in this area in Spain that never gets rain. So, we yeah. picked it because it never gets rain, but once you get that rain, you it like it's game over in the soil. So luckily, again, like Nico and his team, dream team, pulled it together. But I think I've been doing this twenty years, and I think it was like not the skill level of twenty years, but the relationships from twenty years, where everyone was just the best at what they do, and made a, a situation that shouldn't have worked into one of the best segments in the film.
0: Nice. And how yeah. did how did the tour go when when you got back and when you finished everything and
1: it, well, it was full on because we normally the dream is to do like shoot the film and then take all winter to edit it. But we were like editing as we were shooting. I was editing up in my room at night. Like we released a teaser when we were there. It was just a super tight oh, turnaround. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we came back and cut the whole film except for Brandon's segment, sent the whole film off to get colored, Brandon and, and Justin Wipers, and then shot 7 X segment and what with wiper and they uh and while the rest of the film was getting colored came back cut that segment slid it in and we had it in the premiere like a week later it was pretty crazy so yeah but that's i don't know that's like i said it's it's like any art formula if you're given you know we i also do rebel rampage and we take like you know, we have 10 days to do the, the, what is it, three to five hours of programming that exists there. Um Obviously, a bunch of that's live, but all the features and everything. And we can, we have a, a post team that can do all of that in 10 days. But then you also, yeah. I've spent like four years on where the trail ends and we used every second of that too. So no matter how much time you have, you use every second of it. I think it just yeah. comes from hearing so much about it.
0: Yeah and man i i i want to talk about all like, all that stuff long like, totally. <laughs> I've got so many questions around it like, right, yeah. um but jumping back to like totally. how, how you got into filming I've heard you kind of used to like either borrow your like didn't like didn't your parents have have a camcorder you would like totally. stick it in your backpack and kind of take it on yeah. ski trips and stuff and.
1: exactly i like my my origin story actually it doesn't come from being the the very best at what i do it comes from being okay at what i do so i started out like watching ski films and wanting to make ski movies and uh we made our own and they didn't go anywhere we sold about 10 to 20 copies a year to our friends and everything borrowed my parents tv camera and we went out and uh and then some of my friends got into bike and we all did, but some of them I would, so I'd go out, we'd film. And it was all very like, you hold the camera, I'll get the shot. You hold it. And we switched back and forth. We'd all shoot each other. And then eventually um, some of my friends started like 360 off drops and stuff like that. And so I volunteered to take the camera a bit more because I didn't want to do that stuff. So this very your school much, friends as well, right? Oh, absolutely. So I graduated in Nelson, British Columbia. My graduating class was like, uh mike kinrad robbie borden joe schwartz um uh, sean denny was a good friend a couple of years older so a lot of these like like if, if you're a little older you remember these names but the original rampage riders were in my yeah. grad class so these kids that i'd chase around with my parents dv cam not even dv high eight camera um just coincidentally turned into these household names within the early years of freeride so it was total dumb luck just chasing them around and same like even the early years, like Rebel Rampage started and it, like um, a bunch of, I forget, I want to say Kinrad got fifth and Borden got third that year at Rampage. So that's my grad class. Like the year after we graduated, that the first Rampage happened. So I want to take like, from an origin story, I want to give some, like, work hard and, and and focus on your dreams, but it's so much of it was just being in the right place at the right time and uh, and not wanting to hit the 20-foot drops, preferring to hold the camera. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And do you reckon <laughs> yeah. it was kind of like, with the level of those guys, were, were they just kind of, they were just pushing each other and stuff, and you yeah. reckon it was a lot of that?
1: It was totally, like, it was so incredible, the progression. Like, every year it doubled. Like... It was a four foot drop next year, eight, next year, 20, like, it, and just, you know, flips and everything happens so quick that it was such an exciting time to be part of. And then you also have these films that only came out like once a year. So you didn't get what you get now, which is like Instagram and seeing the progression unfold real time. So Everyone would kind of disappear, make their their film segments, and then share them with the world a year later. And that would that one film premiere the entire sport would change in one night. Um, unfortunately, we drank so much you didn't remember that one night, so you had to watch it about <laughs> twenty times
0: after. But yeah. <laughs> uh. And and what did you do? Like, um, so like when you got into it, and everyone was kind of. Like, like, did, like did, did you sort of think that you wanted to focus on filming and kind of take it, like make that into a job and sort of do that around biking mm-hmm. when that, when free riding was kind of almost in its infancy, right?
1: Absolutely. And I, I've like, I've always loved filmmaking and everything. And I think I'm a product of Nelson BC, which has these incredible mountains, incredible skiers, incredible bikers. So I knew I wanted to tell stories and, and document things and travel the world. And that just, like, became an outlet. And then I also, like, I did my own films with Mike Kinrad, pro-rider, who was at the original Rampages. we do our own. we travel around. Like, we had no budget, no, no, like, no pay. We'd eat bagels and cream cheese, sleep on couches, <laughs> travel around with TV cameras. Um, and those started to do decent. But then uh, Derek Westerland from pre Entertainment, he'd originally been cutting his films down at Matchstick Productions, Mm-hmm. Down in Crested Butte. and so this third film he wanted to cut it in nelson bc and so he'd seen the editing i'd done on the other films so i came in like early with freeride entertainment and i like i kind of was given this this um rough chance to be like all right put an assemble together and then the boys from matchstick will come up and finish it and so i put my heart and soul into nwd4 cut the whole thing and then uh, murray wise from matchstick productions came up and I kind of stepped out of the edit suite, they jumped in and, and I came back in, I want to say two or three days later, and they'd added one transition to the whole film. And that was kind of my origin story starting with them. So I did like the nothing into the film, they changed one shot or one leg, put a cross dissolving or something like that. So, um, and, and from then on, I was kind of worked with Derek on his films. They do an annual, like the New World Disorder series. So mm-hmm. I came in as an editor and then slowly started to become like a creative director, it was like an incredible team of people back then. Um, I, yeah, the list now is like, look like if you look at those early days of freeride entertainment, it's like Alex Fossett is one of the like most prolific action sports DPs of all time. Uh, Brad McGregor is now the second unit director of photography on things like Deadpool and films like that. He's a specialty camera out of Vancouver. Eric Croslin founded Sherpa Cinema. Dave Mossett founded Sherpa Cinema. Like, And I'm sure I'm missing some, but they're like, that nucleus of people trickled out to action sports and it are some of the, I don't know, some of the people I looked up to the most now in action sports or in cinema in general. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an exciting
0: time. Sick. And, and were you kind of, like, was the plan always to kind of become, like, a like creative director and kind of do your own films back then? Like, were you, were you kind of thinking, like, that's, that's what you wanted to do and sort of almost – doing the editing doing doing the cinematography wow. learning everything about it right and then sort of combining those skills and putting it
1: all together. So, I think like and I imagine if like most filmmakers out there now if you're getting into it you wear every hat um but back then it was hyper specialized but if you get a chance to edit do it cuz that's where you see every failure. By the time the film's up you see just the shiny stuff. So I got to like go through the best shooters, best athletes, best like Produces everyone, all their raw footage, see it, see the vulnerability, what worked, what didn't. And then I also, um, back then, there wasn't really a lot of creative direction. You just mm-hmm. went out, got the best stuff. So I want to say around New World Disorder, six or seven, we st- I started being like, well, why don't we do it? Like I had this, Kurt Boris had this amazing segment and we, it was right when HD cameras came out and I was like, all right, we, we can actually put a microphone on it. So he had a microphone and I cut the whole Kurt Bory segment um, to a no effects song, but I put all the bike audio in um, underneath, which had never been done because we always shot 16 millimeter film. And then one night I just muted the the no effects track and that turned into the first like raw mountain bike segment. So we, and then I like things like that. So we started to be like, oh, we don't have to just show action. We can do an all black and white Jeff Lanosky segment or all these really fun kind of creative, we can do a one shot with Wade Simmons. Like, um, and this was like the whole team. It was like hyper collaborative. I just listed all the names in there. So you can imagine the brainstorm sessions and everything. And not to mention like Derek Westerland at the helm, who's incredibly like creative visionary and kind of like no holds bar in what Hill like enable his team to do and push like the, the mentality and, and you can see it in the films is that basically this good enough, isn't good enough. So it, along with the riding progressing, the filmmaking, everything had to progress at a rapid rate. So that was kind of where the Petri dish that I came up in. And I always knew I wanted to tell stories. I write like scripts in the background. I love documentary, everything. And um, mountain biking was just this perfect catalyst to experience. Explore and collaborate I'm also like my favorite thing about filmmaking is how collaborative it is so to get to sit down or sit down ch- run around the world with all these incredibly creative bold people you just it can't help but spark like really innovative ideas um yeah. not just in action sports but in like filmmaking and everything like that like when those early days like Alex Fossfed was doing the first cable cams the first helmet cams were happening like all this stuff we take for granted now was like the first times were happening back then
0: and and with those ideas back then i mean was it was it kind of everyone pitching in so it would be the athletes but then it would also be you know it would be the whole creative team right and everyone absolutely we could do something like this we could do a little bit different and
1: a hundred percent and like like innovation was so essential to like all the athletes you didn't have a segment. Cause it, we shot, like it was shot on 60 millimeter film. I remember like um, Wayne Goss was trying this like uh, tr- switch trick where he was just riding backwards for a while. And they, I think they went through a roll of film and I was going through the raw footage and Westerland came over my shoulder and and there was a phone call immediately. Like, what is going on? Like film's expensive back then. You weren't, you didn't try yeah. stuff. You didn't nowadays. You're like, ah, oh, what if we try this? Cost nothing. Oh, we'll see. Back then. Everything was like very high stakes, all or nothing. Like there's stories from the original days before we had um, like decent budgets for film where if the, if someone went off a jump and like, they're we're going for a no-hander and didn't get their hands off before they even landed you're off the trigger of the camera you're not wasting it like a, um, a, a frame of film so um, all the athletes knew that that was baked into the mentality of filming so it was very high stakes and very but very innovative it, you had to be innovative so the yep. athletes were hyper creative as well as the filmmakers
0: do you reckon they would hold back more than they would do now knowing that you know they can kind of they can try different things and they can or, or they were just take it as big risks right maybe if maybe even more because it was sort of first first time for a lot of things and
1: absolutely i i really i see it now a lot like there's so much content you can be an athlete and you'll get pulled on a like 10 shoots and some of them will be for sponsors and this and you just want some nice yeah. backdrops and back then it was progression or nothing and there were like I, I'm not sure if I have my numbers right, but like ten or twelve segments in a film, and that was it. So those those spots were very coveted. You had to earn yours, and like every segment was needle moving. Uh, it it wasn't in the film, and like this, yeah, it was. Like nowadays, there's so much content, and so and even like, and I'm a huge fan of storytelling, but so much storytelling, you don't have to do the most progressive stuff. But back then, at least from a like in the New World days, it was all as progressive as you can get a bit of travel and stuff like that. But even the stuff that went down in traveling, was like, it felt like everything that happened hadn't been done before every single
0: film. Yeah. yeah. And, and what about like all, all the new locations as well that you're going to, Yeah. I mean, that might yeah. be mind blowing, right? Absolutely. And it,
1: and it was so exciting and it still is in mountain biking. Like, I don't think we've ridden everywhere, but um, I, like, I remember being, I want to say it was New World Disorder 7, maybe, at the premiere. Everyone was burnt out from from finishing the film, and there was this trip to the Gobi Desert. So I jumped on it. I was like, I am I want that one. Normally, we have bigger teams. It was just myself, Chemical, and Darren Bearcloth. And we went over to the Gobi. Todd Barber had set up the trip. Blake Jorgensen was there on photos. And we went over there and just it tried to see if there was potential maybe for a rampage or something. We just wanted to, we'd seen these incredible big mountain lines and uh, went over and shot a segment and it kind of, it became, well, it became where the trail ends. The film okay. was like exploring the Gobi Desert, but like so many of those little moments where you're like, oh, sure. I'll jump on this trip, turn into these, like the Gobi is still one of the most incredible big mountain locations I've ever witnessed, but it didn't start with like a, Five years, we got to get there. Todd Barber was like, "Let's make this happen," and we we jumped over there. So there are looking back, so many like kind of iconic moments that steered these big films and projects or segments. But back then, it felt we were just like, "All right, where's your, where? Where do you need a stamp in your passport next? Let's try this one."
0: Uh, <laughs> and were you looking at like kind of any other any other sports or any kind of films or doc- or documentaries for for inspiration? I mean, were you looking at things like? i don't know what what they've kind of done in surf maybe back in the day with like exploration and stuff and absolutely yeah and and snowboarding and
1: yeah i would say the early years it was skiing it was like um watching what Teton gravity research were doing matchstick productions were doing they just had this incredible formula of like the best music the most progressive riding um And so that was a big early influence. And then as like, that was *Neural disorder happened for 10 films. And then when the 10 films, Derek basically decided that was it. He wanted to go out on top and, uh, and just a step away. So from that, the the formulaic doing one every year. Um, And so then it was like, we're looking around what's next. And there was, I think art of flight was doing, had just come out and was getting a lot of hype. That kind of like, really high planet earth production, but I was also really inspired by, um, the Jeremy Jones series, like deeper and those kind of more documentary driven, a bit more storytelling. And then, um, I forget the name of the surf film, but there were a few surf films that really celebrated where they went and to a degree we, when we went places, we had incredible times, but we showed like three or four scenics and then just cut to the action. So to see these surf films that really romanticized the culture where we were, let you travel with the athletes instead of just seeing it, um, that was a big inspiration. And then that turned into Where the Trail Ends, which was this incredible time in mountain biking when uh, the film was still like reign supreme and the budgets were there and you could go to, I forget how many, we did like six exotic locations around the world and had these incredible adventures and and the teams that documented i want to say like um i don't know if we were the first to do it but where the trail ends is when we had a sound person with us it was greg picard um, is this like
0: I'm around this is like early early 90s then oh, sorry early, early, no, early 2000s is.
1: yeah absolutely. yeah okay. this would have been i want to say like this is more like 2010 2012 okay yeah, yeah 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 um so the new world disorder series happened from I want to say like 2001 to 2010, somewhere in there. And then after that, it was like, you know, where do we take it next? And that became these exploratory adventure films. And that was uh, like an incredible time because like, and even, and then the follow-up film to that was North and Nightfall where we went to the Arctic. Um, I can't even fathom like that. some of these places are so remote and and inexpensive and ambitious. Like, it's, yeah, I it, it, I imagine it'd be hard to like pitch that kind of stuff now because it is so social media based and you need so much trickle down content and everything. But back then, the film was the North Star and everyone was chasing these big progressive films. So we got to do these like once in a lifetime trips and uh, probably like, I don't know, 10, 20 of them. So um, again, like, I don't know, as everything grows, it feels like timing. I feel very lucky to have been a part of those early days. Yeah.
0: And yeah, yeah. and be and being a part of like with with the whole scene of progression uh, and and rebel rampage and what was happening there. Well, I mean you've kind is. of like, as we were talking just, just before this, yeah, yeah. You, you've been working on that since since its inception and yeah, how how's that like when it started and yeah uh rampage it's, experience?
1: It's totally. It's been, what's the term of like a frog boiling in water where it's happened so gradually that I don't, I don't know if I've really felt the overnight changes, but um, it's always to me, and it still is, the like a core group of friends out in the desert. It's so beautiful. Like it's such a great group of human beings. Um, my favorite day of rampage is in finals of the night before finals. It's like first day of building. Just getting yeah. to see everyone—it's like this community that's been together for like, uh, you know, like uh, Kyle's been there for all twenty years, um, twenty-one years now, um, and and guys like Cam Zink and even like uh, you know guys like Darren Bearcloth who aren't competing now are still there. Josh Bender—they're still there as judges and everything. So that that's incredible, and that stayed the same. In the early years, it was definitely n- no one knew what was possible. You would show up, and the first year it was most riders just went down one ridge and there was Mm -hmm. a few Canadian guys that went to another ridge and kind of like made it not a, uh, whatever, a slope style or a formulaic course. It started to be that imagination of where you could go. Um, and then as the, I think a lot of the people who went over to that, uh, riders left line ended up with higher scores. So that payoff kept people kept exploring and it got bigger and bigger. And even because the, they did four years and then they, it went on a hiatus. Um, even that, like, we would do the New World Disorder films and we would premiere it in Las Vegas right before that. And the sport would completely change. The most progressive riding ever. Then a week later at Rampage, it would be elevated again. It would be beyond what was done in the films. Like It was just unbelievable. So um, and it's, it's honestly amazing how much, how consistent that's been. Sometimes sports kind of ebb and flow and some years are super progressive and other years it becomes about, I don't know, style, flow. And you know, there's lots of different, but it has always just been mind melting the, the stuff that's achieved even as they've returned to old venues and everything. It's just like, it is unbelievable what happens every single year. I'd like, like I said, I think I've 21 years I've done it and every year I'm, I'm like, no, they're not going there. No, that's not possible. You're thinking what? Like, uh, like, uh. so um I think like obviously the crews are way bigger. Um we have a massive infrastructure of live for the live programming and everything like that. But um Red Bull's done an incredible job at like keeping those people that were there from the beginning and that community. So as big as it is at its nucleus is still this heart of really like um family community and at the heart of it is the athletes. Everyone's there to enable them. It's not the it's not the show must go on. It's not you're replaceable. If you don't want to do it, someone else will. It's very, very much like that. even every interview I do, every camera we place, it's to amplify what the athletes are doing. And I I hope that's one of the reasons it's been so good for so long is just really just being a microphone for the athletes instead of trying to be the production trying to be standard
0: stage yeah and i mean you guys have done an amazing job i mean just just telling their stories and Mm -hmm. and letting the audience see how it's so gnarly Mm -hmm. you know like even like i mean you know like when they're practicing doing practicing runs they're putting it all on the line right Um, on absolutely um
1: oh no i was gonna say like like there is if you like to talk production it's and i haven't done a ton of live tv like i focus on action sports but I work with Terry, who's our live director, sits in the truck, camera three, go camera three, go to cut camera four, um, that kind of stuff. He does IndyCar, he's incredible. He's done it for so long. And, and he says it too, there's nothing like it. There's no rehearsal. We don't yeah. get to see a single run T to B, figure out how to cut it, how to shoot it, where to put the heli, where to like, all of that happens once, maybe twice. So it's like, like as high stakes as television gets too. Um, as far as like just covering the athletes down the line, and that's keeping them in the frame then there's like the tops are usually super steep so you got to make sure that is like you're as out as far as you can so that you can see how steep it is if you put cameras in it it'll soften it but then the tricks there's a there's a shelf at every rampage venue must have been i don't know whatever 200 million years ago there was an ocean floor there or something but that's That same shelf at all the venues is where usually you'll see Tom and Zink do their gnarliest big features. So we always know we need these these classic across shots, but also wide-angle shots off that. And then the bottom is classically a lot more tricks and everything. So it's how do you get in close? Um, Guys like um, Reader, Seminic, all of them now are getting these really technical tricks that if you shoot too wide, you miss. So, so much goes into kind of like crafting it, but it's all hypothetical till game day. So... Um, yeah would you definitely. would you
0: speak to them are you are you speaking to all the athletes speaking to their team the builders as well to try yep. and figure out what kind of runs they're going to do without obviously like you know they're not going like, to like without giving too much away you kind of like just trying to figure out what what they're going to do where on, on on the course
1: it is yeah. all all of it is like um I, they're all friends so it's trying to not yeah. like i don't know like i never asked them what they're gonna do just where they're yeah. going so yeah. i'm not like you don't do want to get in their head there? too much right <laughs> yeah, no i know yeah, absolutely <laughs> and like um and and you know like they're all the best in the world but i'd i from all the listening i've done a rampage it's 90 percent in your head so you want to respect that headspace not i don't know i say like cook them out or trip them out or get them thinking too much about stuff like um then a good friend and we did a feature on his recovery because he had a crazy crash and i uh, just wanted to make sure he was good with it he had a really gnarly crash the year before so i showed it to the feature that we're going to show in the live broadcast to him a two-minute piece on and he was like it's it, he said it messed with his head that day you know so you're constantly trying not to trying to enable them and not kind of psych them out so um but but in the same breath we don't have It'd be almost impossible to have every line covered by cameramen. So we have cameramen running around. So we have to know where they're going. So um, but I work with like the whole team at Red Bull, and we have uh, another like brilliant producer, Aaron Whitley, who will go and get each athlete to draw out their line. I'll talk to them a bit. Like mm-hmm. I remember, what was it? Uh, Godziak wanted uh, a wide angle underneath of the canyon gap, and. Um, uh who was it uh, dylan stark wanted a long lens and then he wanted the wide angle for his replay so we'll we'll do that to a degree but most athletes uh we've done it long enough they're just they let it they let us do our job and they they're just want to make sure that it's documented but even then like dylan stark hit a rail at the bottom of his run and didn't tell me and then we shot it too wide you could hardly tell so it's constantly evolving and you know like 21 years of this and i never saw a rail coming so um next year i'm going to keep my head on a swivel for that
0: where where do you think it's going like with, Uh, with the progression and kind of yeah yeah
1: i think i honestly i just i don't even have the imagination for it and i've seen it this long every year they show up like um some of the when some of the stuff zinc like i always zinc's kind of my I every year I show up at Rampage and I you before you make your way up the mountain you hear Zinc's going to do this Zinc's going to do that and it's like oh god what's he oh what's he bit off oh but the second I find Zinc and talk to him and he walks me through it I'm like oh he's good he's got it like the year he did that huge step down flip when Amanda was like nine months pregnant and the whole time everyone's like he's going to flip it he's going to flip it I'm like I don't even know if that's possible this is crazy and then sit down with him and he's so calculated confident. I was like, oh, he's got it. As soon as I talked to him, I'm like, I know, he's, he's good. We're good on that. And then I asked him if he was cool if we put a camera with uh, Amanda so we could share a bit more of that human element to it. Um, and I think the particular piece we did that with is still, like, one of the top viewed pieces on uh, Rebels' YouTube site. Just because we included, obviously, what Zinc did was, was like, spectacular athleticism, but adding that human element of, like they call them caveman stories, but a story anyone can relate to, which is, a, you yeah. know, the pregnant wife, the the father-son relationship um, or father-daughter in that case. Um, but um, yeah, it's as far as progression, I, I, th- I think honestly, that's why Rampage is so incredible. If you look at any other event, the course builders build the course, someone mm-hmm. else does it. And, and who are you to tell people what they're going to do a 60 foot backflip? But what makes rampage incredible is the athletes pick it that's why it's so insane is because there's no barrier between them and what they can dream up and yeah. so like no if you built any of the drops that i don't know like uh you know tom's done his bigger stuff on van steenbergen if you built that and put it in a course you'd i don't know you'd be like no it, it just wouldn't be possible It would be impossible but because tom built it spent the time they they spend so much time in the dirt. That it allows them to visualize it. They got their head down. They can see it. Um, that's why rampage is just like it's. I don't know. Camel Call calls it this lightning in a bottle. Like it's irreplaceable. There's
0: nothing else yeah. like it. Yeah. Nice. And, yeah, and yeah. with the with with the kind of the the emotional aspect of it and and the sort of like filming and storyline,
1: mm-hmm. do you
0: see like is there being obviously like phases with like from from the twenty one yeah. years of doing it, I mean, and now now, where do you kind of see like, and I guess that's kind of leading up to like, what are you going to be yeah. working on next, but kind of where, where so do you? See? Um, it I think,
1: there's, yeah, there's a lot of like um, a a lot of exciting things happening. I think one thing like social media has happened. I always the timing's not exactly right on this, but we did. Um, I teamed up with Teton Gravity Research and we did a film called The Complice. And we brought this robotic Cura arm, which is this crazy, high, crazy expensive robotic arm that has a camera on it. And we mm-hmm. shot this segment with Paul Genovese and Brandon Semenik. And Semenik was doing this flip whip to to invert. And it was amazing. We shot it with a phantom, one of my favorite shots I've ever shot in mountain biking. Um, super amazing progressive trick. And as we're like downloading the footage, cause the Phantom files are massive. This is a thousand frames a second. We're downloading the footage at the end of the day. I'm, I'm scrolling Instagram and a mills posted the same trick on an iPhone and it's got tons of views. And so this Madden. transition of, you know, like, so, so progression is the home of progression is whether you, we like it or not, is starting to be social media. That's where the craziest stuff happens. You can see it that night. Um, And so with that, action sports is having to like the 60 minute film isn't always where you can go for the most progressive stuff because it's just that we're saturated with media. But I actually like it because I think it means as filmmakers, we have to progress and evolve. We have to be more creative, better storytellers, um, have the audience invest more. So it, it becomes this balance of like these very human stories with this hyper progressive stuff um yeah. and ex- especially in mountain biking and rampage is another great example those little one minute features we do before like if you know the sport you're like oh i, I know zinc's whole story just get to his run but if you don't uh, you care otherwise he's just this crazy guy with a full face on there's no investment you don't care whether he makes it or not so yeah to get to like i I like athletes are my friends, and I want my audience to feel as worried about them when they go for this stuff as I am. And that's what I always see my job. And I think it's the same with progression and the future of films is like trying to figure out storytelling, how to tell compelling stories, but still have those incredibly progressive payoffs. Because I think everyone's still starved for like, you know, it. the social media side, you sit and you look and you just collect likes, you know, you post something and then you get however many likes. I that still for me does not compare it to a sold-out theater cheering fan seeing your thing yeah. for the first time, your stunt So I think that's still important to protect. It's just making sure that you round it out. Um the last couple of films I've done, um, like Esperanto, another film I partnered with Teach on Gravity Research on. Um, we had that incredible segment we were talking about earlier with uh Emil, Lucas and Alma all like uh, almost every trick I'd never seen before. Um, but we also had a segment with this young kid from Africa who had kind of like grown up in poverty and had been borrowed a bike and then ended up using that bike to win a race, took that money, bought a bike and is now in the Zambia national team. And that segment got as big cheers as Emil's three triple bar off this massive drop. Um, and so both, I think, are important. And I think that's what's so exciting right now is you have to have a flex a few more muscles or or, or exercise them to make a good film these days and pull people in.
0: And I, I guess like the athletes will kind of go in two ways as well, right? I mean, maybe some are kind of sort of, or I don't know if they're going to be doing both. But it, like the ones who are sort of are good on social and obviously they know it's part of their job but like it's kind yeah. of they're going to sway more towards that and it's quick clips and stuff like that and then others i don't know if they're sort of thinking that it would be good to have that almost that legacy piece of having having a feature
1: absolutely and i that's what makes the film so great is you get a little of everything um yeah. I, I i won't name names but some of my some of the guys i'm lucky enough to work with like Will do very little story, and some are all for story, and and it like I, Cam Zinc and I like. But one of my favorite things of every shoot is getting sit down and have a Cam Zinc heart to heart at the end with camera rolling in an interview, and then um, other athletes are very just like they want to let their riding do the talking, which I think is I respect both equally. Um, and so I think it's it's personal, and you got to leave room for it. I I don't like um like I said I like to kind of be a microphone for where the athletes want to go. I don't want to steer them or fit them in a box they don't want to be in. Uh, if, pro- if they want progression, I'm going to put the sickest shooters with them and get the most mind-melting shots. And if they want um, a heartfelt story, then I'm going to put those people around them. Um, I did a shoot in India with um, uh, Veronica Sandler and Hannah Bergman, and we brought this cinematographer, Anandi, with us, who was a full doc scene. He had never shot mountain biking, but she spoke Hindi and we were in the middle of India and the segment turned out yeah, incredible cool. because she was like that good at that, like jock listening, interacting with the culture. So again, it's all, there's no one size fits all through it.
0: Yeah, and I've I've heard you say like with directing like 80% of the job is listening, right? Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah, a um, hundred. Yeah, it, it's a hundred percent of the job is like, um (laughs) yeah yeah, it is really like um i don't yeah you just you have so if you surround yourself in a good crew it's just listening and amplifying um otherwise especially there's a a buzzword for a long time but it's like an authenticity and if you're telling the athlete you like we all went through a dark phase uh i don't know maybe a decade ago where we'd write stuff and the athletes would read it and it would be like athlete vo and stuff and uh you know, audiences are smart. They can figure that out pretty quick. Versus yeah. even no matter how many ums and ahs and um whatever lack of public speaking skills an athlete has, if it's their own voice, it becomes ten times more powerful. Yeah. And that's and or, or lack of voice at all and just the, the way they ride. So um yeah, uh, it's everything these days, it's just to be able to listen to your crew, your athletes and, and it's safety too, like there's a ton of pressure when you bring these cameras out you can no matter how good you get at it like it it changes the room as soon as the camera is there people change who they are there's more codec required so you really got to like be listening for your athletes if they're not feeling it too um and just give them permission to walk away but most of them also won't do it i have this when i was in the arctic with carson Storch. um we're on like an uninhabited island, 10 hours from the nearest hospital, two, 200 miles south of the North Pole, um, the uninhabited island the size of Switzerland. And day two, they, they built this hip and Carson wants like a table to inverse table. And he crashed like three times. And I'm like, what What are we doing here? Like, this is a big mountain segment. We're here. There's lines three times the size of Rampage. There. I don't want to see Carson getting wow. hurt on day two on this trek. Carson, dude, you're good, don't worry about it. I'm, we're turning the cameras off. And he's like, all good, I'm gonna keep doing it. And he hikes back up and keeps going for it. And then, uh, and then we turn the cameras back on and he gets a shot. It's like the cover bike. bag, And yeah, so they are, as much as there is that Kodak courage, they're also like very goal orientated. And mm-hmm. you know whether it's getting the shot or not, it's about achieving that one trick or that one moment. So, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, and like like now, like what are you, what are you looking forward to? What's what kind of excites uh, it, we're filming? Yeah.
1: I think like honestly I there's something that happens with filmmaking where you're gonna get it's all trends or it's all like it's like music. It comes, it goes, everything. Yeah. So if you get too comfortable at the top of any one scene, um eventually they're like the at the core of art is like hunting for something new. It's all about that new fresh thing. So I often throw myself in the like sh- uh, the deep end of like something I'm not very good at at all. Long before I've been um, g- gotten old in one particular genre, or gotten played out. So right now I'm actually working a lot in documentary and a lot in scripted, but mm-hmm. just at the beginner level, trying to learn it, trying to explore it. Um, I just have I did a 12 minute scripted piece, all actors, everything that I'll be releasing actually on Valentine's Day, so coming up. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm doing like documentaries that have nothing to do with action sports. And I just feel like you have to do that. You have to scare yourself. There's nothing more dangerous than getting comfortable at the top or the, you know, I talked a lot, like a lot of my friends, um, have a lot of trophies and have stood on a lot of podiums and there is that top of the mountain feeling where it gets lonely. And once you kind of achieve like, you know, you, you, you aim your goals, at this one particular thing and then you it's tunnel vision focused to get there and that was action sports for me for a long time. And so you get up there and then there's this kind of now what feeling. And I think so much of it is actually in the pursuit of those goals versus uh standing on top of the podium or having these like big shiny films. So that's I just keep throwing myself in the deep end on something I'm not very good at or don't have a lot of experience at. So um I'm still doing a ton of stuff. I'm actually working on a documentary with Tom and Um when Tom had his really gnarly crash, I want to, in two years ago at Rampage. Um, I want to say it was within a week, my phone started buzzing with texts from him. And I was like, Oh no, what is, what's Tom want to do next? <laughs> like, like, heal up dude. Don't, don't uh, do anything crazy. Just like take some time. That was a very real crash. And uh, he, when I talked to him, he wanted to do a documentary on his recovery. And, and there hasn't been a lot of light shone on the mental health side of losing that identity or that yeah. like when you are so driven to achieve something, get up every day, chasing it to be forced. I forget how long Tom was on the couch for, but it was a long time. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'll help you with that. Let's uh, film yourself every day and I'll come over. And I, I did uh, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, which was a six hour sit down with Tom Van Steenberg and when he was still injured. So he, i often i'll avoid subjects because i don't want to psych athletes out but i got to get into like you know is this selfish why do you do this like yeah um and that piece will be coming out this year so things like that just anything that i haven't done enough of or that scares me is kind of my next project
0: yeah that's cool i mean like, i saw I, I saw the royal Enfield um yeah um, like video that you did and that was sort of obviously wasn't wasn't mountain biking was was, was was motor racing but um yeah I mean looking at that and and then kind of going into different projects I guess it sort of opens up new new ideas and new sort of thoughts opportunities different things that aren't in these worlds right if it is sort of it's getting out of mountain, like out of mountain biking and you know just puts you yeah i don't know like maybe out of your comfort zone in doing different things if it's a topic you're not like that familiar with things like that right
1: absolutely and that's like um like i'm also rep commercially by this company bug out of toronto so i went um i'll go from like that shoot in spain which is hyper progression based to doing like a canadian tire commercial on a new battery and stuff like that so um It's honestly, I love filmmaking. I love mountain biking. I love adventure sports, but I also just love storytelling, filmmaking, all that. So chances to get to do that. And it's so funny because action sports, no matter how you do it, you you know, you have a crew of maybe, I don't know, four 10 rampage. We have closer to 50, but that's a whole live event. But, um, you go to commercial and 50 people just like, I don't, there's not, you know, there's a camera operator, but there's someone else pulling the focus and there's someone else setting the tripod up and they're like, you have this army to create it. Um, it's like so much fun. You can just stay tunnel vision on creating what you want to create with the commercial. Whereas when I get back to mountain biking, I've got, I'm hauling the camera to the top. I'm helping dump the cards at the end of the day. Like it's, um, you, it both keep you humble, and then also like it's incredible to do commercial or scripted work because it is so uh, filmmaking's at the center of it. You're the no like there's no risk, personal risk. Like people aren't there's no sixty footer getting flipped. You can just go yeah. and let's take take twelve, no problem. Whereas like I did a Michelin commercial with Zinc, and he flipped this uh, the decent sized step down, and the commercial agency was like, "Wait, let's take another." And luckily Kyle was there. I think we did two, but they're so risky. You don't just try Did I get it right. And, uh, you got to get it right the first time. Um, so it's again, fun to just like dabble in all these different arenas. And, and I don't know, I kind of like, like I said, uh, boot myself out of everything before I get kicked out to so try something new or just to keep <laughs> growing. Um, and, and I think that's, what's kind of, and, and then I get to take it all back to filmmaking. I get to do like, we did a kind of semi doc piece at the end of accomplice on Paul Basagosia. Um And so Paul was uh, had a spinal cord injury um, uh, on a mountain bike and it was very slow to recover. He did an incredible film. He started filming himself immediately uh, through his recovery and he did a film mm-hmm. called any one of us with Red Bull. And that is probably one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Um, and so I was at the premiere of that with him um, and he was talking about like riding his e-bike and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that could be a segment. Him and his best friend, Cam Zink, just riding bikes together. No one ever thought they'd see a Paul bass segment again. But yeah. now I can, instead of tunnel vision on progression, I can take some of the story stuff I'm learning and incorporate that. and And probably one of my favorite segments I've ever done, just getting to watch. Paul in a mountain bike film again when we thought we would never see him again on an e bike, which e bikes were especially at the time kind of frowned on. You'd never put them in a mountain bike film, and there it is. And also explaining why e bikes are important to get people out, and it's not just about the rock stars. So, and we brought like, um, uh, cinematographer Anthony Vitelli out who shot his whole documentary on his recovery. And mm-hmm. there we were shooting berm slashes and tabletops and everything like that. So, um, yeah get, getting to flex these different muscles allows me to kind of explore different avenues within biking as well which i love yeah
0: yeah and 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 how how difficult is it like being close and being friends with with these athletes and knowing like like the serious implications and like you know percussions that could happen from when things do go wrong i mean being behind the behind the lens how, how's that sometimes yeah. i mean
1: it it's it's super real and it's there and it, i don't know my approach is just really make a listening a ton i'm i'm almost like um sometimes too aloof because i'm not going to be like you go there do that we need this at this time of day I will, i'll do that yeah. with a, a berm slash or a manual down a ridge but once it comes to the big stuff like with with shooting with zinc it's it's high noon productions if he's feeling it at noon when the light's garbage and i will not get a single cinematography <laughs> award or whatever i'm all for it because i would like again it's making the space for them and not pushing um and that's really like because and i've done it a lot in skiing even scarier too i've shot a bunch of skiing and the you know the amount of avalanches and that kind of stuff like yeah. it's it's got to be you cannot you gotta, there's enough pressure there already. You gotta almost like work to relieve it, make sure they're, it's what they wanna do. They're driven by it. We also like take it incredibly serious that we do have first aid on. Like we don't talk a lot about it, but we have first aid there. Um, we'll have guides there. Like those guys are always off camera hidden, but um, they, it's, it's thought about a lot. And I think we've learned it all over the years, the importance of safety and the risks that are being taken by everyone. Um, We we, in the Arctic, when we were up there, we actually had not just like a first aid attendant, but a full doctor and the whole shoot. I was uh, I knew I wanted to do a scene where to address it um, because it's a film called North at Nightfall with Red Bull. And I knew I wanted to the audience to know because this is like it it sets up the stakes. That's the thing about riding that far away is if anything goes wrong what are the consequences, but I saved the scene with the doctor shooting him going through his medical kit and walking the athletes through it, um, till the end of the shoot. Cause I didn't want to psych the boys out. Um, and then we did this scene at the end and the doctor was so like, he could have performed surgery up there. He could have done anything. Um, and so the athletes were like, Oh shoot, I wish I'd known that I would have went for it more. <laughs> so I should have bumped into in the scene. Um, and he was also incredible. I have a scene in North and Nightfall where uh he sits and he asks each athlete their injuries and it's insane. Like he sits any it's Tom Men, and Carson Storch, Zinc and Bearclaw. Their list of injuries is like five minutes of the film. And I and I cut to these moments where the doctor's like looking nervous. But what I cut out was the doctor actually listed his injuries after and they were longer than any of them. His nickname's Doc Tomahawk, and he's from Whistler, and he's an amazing biker. So, <laughs> um, but uh but it is very it's very real it's um it's it's something it's just you just gotta make sure like all these athletes know there's a risk and it's they do it for their own reasons and it's respecting yeah. those reasons. you don't have to give them their own about the sickest seggy or the greatest shot or whatever that pressure's already there they're not at that level without putting having that drive, so it's just amplifying yeah. that drive without without putting undue pressure on them
0: and it's just it's just years of knowledge and skills built up right over time. It's not like they just suddenly like, you know, are gonna do suddenly like
1: absolutely. I I interviewed uh Tom Van Steamergen's dad and he was saying that um it's almost more dangerous for, for Ed Sard his dad to hit a like a four or five foot drop because he hasn't practiced them ever than it is when yeah. Tom hits the 40 footer because this the amount of pre um pre-work visualization practice everything is like there's this hucking and hoping myth but everything you see is like the accumulation of a lifetime of work and and it's very true like with all these athletes and i think back in the early days there was more hucking and hoping Um, but now it's highly precise every one of these people has these incredible all these athletes have these amazing beautiful like acreage yards and the whole yard is like jumps. Like, I don't know what the resale value will ever be for them unless another rider buys them. But um, and most of the guys I know, especially Rampage athletes, have these incredible yards now with flat drops and jumps and everything to train and practice on. So the stuff you see on film is the accumulation of like so much training.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they're all kind of – like I was speaking to someone about this the other day about like, sort of like training – um outside of the sport as well, right? Which was, I guess, frowned upon like years ago. Absolutely. If you were if you're if you're riding or you know you're a snowboarding or skiing, that's that's what you were doing. It wasn't like you're gonna be going to the gym unless you were trying to do it like secretly and not tell anybody.
1: Totally. And that, I remember that era too, like there was this like last person at the bar, first person in the Stargate mentality in the early days. It was party as hard as you can and then go out and win. And then a few of the athletes started just being athletes and they, they started training, stretching, not partying the night before, visualizing, uh, going to sports therapists, everything. And, and I remember even at the beginning it was like, "Huh, well, they won, but they, you know, they didn't work partying with us. But then the level, all the, those kind of, the more athletic driven athletes have taken it is like, yeah, it's unbelievable so it's oh you know, it's phenomenal and now it's a healthy mix it's knowing uh yeah. now it's partying at the uh at the party with your trophy instead of the night before so, yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> so. cool and and did, what, what's the best way if people want to if they want to reach out to you or if they want to follow what, what you're up to how can they how can they uh, do that absolutely
1: um i did that's i usually try and keep my like social media up to date it's just Jeremy underscore Grant um on Instagram and then JeremyRegrant dot com is my website. Um cool. and yeah, that's the best way to keep an eye on what I'm doing. I've kind of like I said, the the next things to come out are gonna be like a scripted piece and then a doc. But I, I, I can't I can't mention anything yet, but there's a it bunch of too much. Not, no, it's always yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it's best to talk about the projects you've just done, everything. Uh but there's a lot of really cool projects coming up and there's a lot of excitement about mountain biking i don't something crazy happened kind of through the when the world locked down and so the amount of people riding bikes now is bigger than ever and that the community's grown and i think if there's anything that um i've fallen in love with filming mountain bike this long is the community and the fact that it's grown and more and more people are getting into it it's such an exciting time and after like 20 years of doing this it's still uh it's just constantly evolving and growing which is so fun Awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, Jeremy. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show, dude. It was awesome chatting.
1: Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. I've recently set up a new website called OllieRussellCowan You can find all the information about the Rad Season show, as well as previous episodes on there, and what events I have coming up that I'm going to be speaking at. You can follow me on Instagram at Ollie Russell Cowan, and if you want to get in contact, feel free to drop me an email on Ollie at OllieRussellCowan Until next time,
1: thanks for listening.